just wanted, so I wanted to read it. It says, Lord, hear our cry. Come heal our land. Breathe life into these dry and thirsty souls. Lord, hear our prayer. Forgive our sins. And as we call on your name, would you make this a place for your glory to do well? And then it says, open the blind eyes, unlock the deaf ears, come to your people as we draw near, hear us from heaven, touch our generation, we are your people, crying out in desperation. Um, and um, as I was singing that, you can go to that first slide of this sermon there, um, like I was saying, I was thinking like, yes, this is what I want um, for myself. Um, this is what I want in my own life, um, and this is what I, I want for our church. This is what I want for our community. Um, but as I was thinking that, um, just kind of God reminded me the fact that, and he's been teaching me lately that those things that that song asks um, to breathe life into the dry and thirsty souls, to unlock the deaf ears, um, touch our generation, those things can only happen through me and through this church um, if we are willing to surrender. Um, you're going to have to help me with it, Allison, because this remote decided it didn't want to work this morning. Oh, that's why. There we go. All right. That's what happens when we have more than one speaker up here, I think. So, um, uh, I came across this story to kind of start out that uh, as I was studying this week from David Livingstone, make sure I say his name right. If you don't know um, your missionary history very well, he was a missionary to Africa, kind of like a missionary slash explorer. He kind of really uh, went into uh, Africa and um, explored territory that allowed other missionaries to come in um, and, and spread the gospel. Um, and he was eager to travel, and travel into the uncharted lands of Central Africa so he could preach the gospel. And the story is told on one occasion, um, this missionary and explorer, he arrived at the edge of a large territory that was ruled by a tribal chieftain. And according to tradition, the chief would come out and meet him there at the edge of his territory. Um, and Livingston would go forward only um, after an exchange was made. And so the chief would come and he would choose any item that David Livingstone had with him. So he had to lay everything out. He didn't have a whole lot because he's an explorer in the um, 18th century. I should look at my historians. I'm not really sure. It was a while ago. Um, and so he, like his watch, his, his extra clothes, um, you know, everything that he had. And he also had um, a goat with him that provided him milk because... Um, he didn't have really great stomach problems with local water, as you can imagine, in Central Africa 150 years ago. Um, and the chief could choose anything he wanted. And so um, the story is told that um, the chief came to him and uh, he decided that he was going to take the goat that Livingstone had. That was like kind of his one source of major source of comfort that helped his stomach, makes life easier. Um, I can tell you from firsthand experience when your stomach's not right on a missions trip, it's not fun. Um, but in return, he was given this crooked stick by the chief. And uh, Livingstone was disappointed. He was pretty upset. Um, and he began to gripe with God about what he viewed as a stupid walking cane 
um, when he could have had you know, his goat that helped him? Um, what could it do for him compared to the goat that kept his stomach well? And then one local man explained, that's not a walking cane. It's the king's very own scepter. Um, and with it, you will find entrance into every, every village in this territory. Um, the king has honored you greatly. And the man was right. God opened Central Africa to Livingstone, um, and successive missionaries and evangelists followed him um, to bring the gospel to Central Africa. And I find that I can identify with David Livingstone in the story a lot in my life. Um, when God comes to me and he's asking me to lay my life before him, and then he, uh, I usually, I often get upset at what he takes away, um, not realizing the blessings that he gives in return. Um, and what God is kind of trying to teach me, I think, um, is a slow process that um, uh, it's an act of surrender um, that he is asking for. He's, he's kind of asking me to be like David Livingstone and lay that all out, everything that I have, um, and be willing to let him take anything, do whatever he wants. Um, but as I think of that, and I was trying to prepare, like, what exactly is surrender? Um, is that where someone sticks a gun in your face or in your back and you put your hands up like, I have to surrender? Um, made me think of uh, Jesus Take the Wheel, right? Um, the song. Uh, it's probably where most of us describes when we're willing to surrender. We're in a horrible situation. Everything's out of control. I can't do anything. Here, God, take this and fix it for me. I'm willing to surrender now. Um, I surrender, you know, we, that's kind of sometimes where I'm at, where maybe that is where you've been before. Um, and in describing Christianity, I've been going through this book um, called uh, Spirit Walk by Steve Smith. Um, and in the story, there's a story in here that um, a Romanian pastor is describing, he was asked, a Romanian pastor was asked to describe American Christianity by um, uh, an American minister. And this is what he said were his impressions of American Christianity. And I find this so true um, a lot in my own life. It says, the key word in American Christianity is commitment. The word commitment did not come into great usage in the English language until about the 1960s. And this is a Romanian pastor speaking. He says, in Romania, we do not even have a word to translate the English word commitment. If you were to use commitment in your message tonight, I would not have a proper way to translate it, proper word to translate it with. Joseph, the pastor, continued, when a new word comes out into usage, it generally pushes an old word out. I began to study and found that the old word that commitment replaced... Uh, he said, the old word that is no longer in vogue in America is the word surrender. So the American pastor, he asked him, well, what's the difference between commitment and surrender? He said, when you make a commitment, you are still in control, no matter how noble the thing you commit to. One can commit to pray, to study the Bible, to give money, to commit to automobile payments, or to lose weight. Whatever he chooses to do, he commits to it. But surrender is different. If someone holds a gun and asks you to lift up your hands in the air as a token of surrender, you don't tell that person what you are committed to. You simply surrender and do as you are told. As a Romanian pastor said, Americans love commitment because they are still in control. 
but the key word is surrender. We are to be slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ. And a commitment isn't a bad thing, um, it says in here, except when it gets in the way of surrender. And so kind of as all this was going through my head in the last couple weeks, um, it uh, brought me to Matthew 26, uh, verses 36 to 46. Um, So if you wanted to turn there, we're going to be reading from those verses this morning. And just to provide a little bit of context to the story, um, this is uh, towards the end of Jesus's uh, life on earth. Um, He's just went through the whole uh, upper room um, experience with his disciples where they go and they celebrate the Passover together. They're together. He, He has kind of an extended time where he teaches them some things, kind of some maybe last-minute teaching in a sense, you might say. Um, He institutes communion. Um, All of these amazing things have happened between Jesus and his disciples um, in this upper room of a house. Um, And then after all of that, um, knowing that Jesus knows that his betrayal and arrest and death are coming, um, they go outside, and we find here in this passage um, that they come to the place called Gethsemane. And Jesus knows, just kind of keep in mind as you read this, um, just realize that Jesus knew the path before him and how hard it was going to be. He knew what was coming next. Um, It wasn't a surprise to him. And he knew um, the pain and the hardship and the agony um, that was ahead of him. And right after this passage that we read is his arrest. And that starts the whole um, ball rolling for his death and crucifixion. So this is kind of the last main event um, with his disciples. So it was kind of it was interesting to think about that, that this is kind of the last thing that Jesus does before his death um, with those that are closest to him. So I'm going to read Matthew uh, 26, 36 to 46. It says, Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, Sit here while I go and pray over there. He took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. And he said to them, the three that were with him, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples, and he found them asleep. And he said to Peter, What, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went again a second time and prayed, saying, O my Father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. So he left them, went away again, and prayed the third time, saying the same words. And he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, he who betrays me is at hand. 
So despite the incredible road ahead of Jesus, um, we see in this passage that Jesus is surrendering his life to God's plan. He comes before his heavenly Father and surrenders despite what he is feeling or wants. And as I studied, it just was even made more clear to me that understanding the need for surrender and doing it on a regular basis is one of the essential elements of your relationship with God and my relationship with God. Um, and as I shared with the song in the, uh, the beginning, uh, God has really been using worship songs lately to just encourage me and encourage my, um, my soul. It just seems like there's been song after song after song. Um, and as even this week as I'm studying for this passage and I know my topic and I know what we're talking about, um, there's countless times I've heard a, th- a song um, and thought, wow, that would fit like perfect with what we're talking about this morning. And like, it's not just one song. It was like probably 10 or more, you know, things like that. And it, it just, it, it reinforces that truth that this theme of surrender is central to walking um, a, a fruit-filled uh, life as a follower of Jesus. Um, and so then the natural question, if, if you think of that and you realize that, and hopefully you believe that, is how do we get to this point of surrender? What does it look like? Um, what steps can we take? Um, and I think that's why one of the reasons I think that the gospel writers included this story um, is the fact that here Jesus gives us an example of what it looks like to surrender despite whatever may be in front of you. Um, so we're going to look at some things, um, and I, I struggled with finding a word. Um, I'm in a column this morning. We're going to look at, uh, I think there's five of them, five different, I'm going to call them ingredients to aid us in surrender. Um, and I don't want to, because I don't want to make it a formula. It's not a formula. So I, I thought of ingredients because it kind of reminded me of, <laughs> I took home ec class in junior high. And as I was thinking this morning, I was wondering what in the world possessed me to take home ec class in junior high. Most, for those of you that don't know that are younger, home ec was like where you learned, they taught you to sew and cook and that was something else. I can't remember. Like, like why did I choose that as a junior high student? Um, there were three guys in the class. Maybe that's why I chose it. Um, and for some odd reason, the teacher <laughs> decided to put the three guys in the cooking group together. So there's three junior high boys trying to cook the things, learn how to cook. Um, and I, I don't think we made a single thing right that entire semester. Like, I mean, these are simple things. Like, how do you mess up no-bake cookies? Like, how do you screw that up? But we had the ingredients right, the same ingredients as everybody else in the class, but for some reason, our muffins look like biscuits instead of muffins, right? Um, so the ingredients are there, but it's not a formula. The, the Holy Spirit in God is the one that takes these things, um, and then when you offer that, your life to him, he, these are some of the things that help kind of aid in that surrender that I think we see in these verses. So um, the first thing I think that we see essential ingredient for surrender is community. Right. Jesus has the 12 disciples with him. He takes them with him. He could have just been like, I mean, you think about it, the Last Supper, they're in the upper room. Maybe he just decides, okay, guys, you guys stay here. I'm going to go out to the garden and spend some time um, alone with God. He could have easily done that. It would have been an easy transition, whatever you want to call it. 
Um, but he doesn't. Even the Son of God, um, as he's on this earth, wanted and needed that community. He needed those people with him. And we need people with us as well. Um, you think of the verse that Jesus says um, in um, John. He says, the, you will, people will know that you are his disciples, Jesus' disciples, by your love for one another. Okay? You can't do that on your own. You can't love other people by yourself. You just end up loving yourself. Um, so you, you need other people. Or I thought of the verse in Hebrews. It says, don't forsake meeting together. And he's not just talking about coming to church. He's saying you can't give up that community um, and still continue to live a surrendered life. Okay? It, by yourself, um, things can go bad in a hurry. Um, so that is, I think, the first thing that we see in these verses, that we need community. Um, it's just the way God has wired us, to be able to come to him and surrender on a regular basis. The second thing I think that we see um, is that we need close, deep friendships. And we were kind of talking a little bit about this in our ABF class this morning. Um, those two ver- uh, verses in Proverbs came to my mind. Um, the wounds of a friend are trustworthy, and iron sharpens iron, and one person sharpens another. Jesus, even those group of 12, he chose three out of that group that were his closest. He had spent the most time with them, invested the most in these three, um, James, John, and Peter, and he asked them to come with him to pray. Um, and so he even wanted that close friendship in the midst of a difficult situation. The Son of God wanted that. Um, it's the close friendship of brothers and sisters in Christ that challenge us the most. Um, I think the way Paul described it this morning is we need those people to step on our toes, right? Or to poke you because that's usually... And some, most of the time, it doesn't even happen like in a confrontational style. In my own life, usually it's just a comment that a close friend makes or the way they're choosing to live their life that God uses through the, and then the Holy Spirit working in me um, to show me, hey, there's something maybe you need to change, something that you need to surrender. But without those close friendships, um, you don't get that. Um, so th- that's the second thing that we see. Um, so as we think just of those two things, um, are you experiencing Christian community? Because um, if you're not, it's going to be very hard to live a life of surrender to God in all reality. Um, it's my, it's, I believe it with all my heart. Um, are you, and, and notice I say Christian community. People, then not, that's more than just coming to church, like I said. You can come to church and in all reality not experience Christian community. Um, it's a smaller group of people that you know um, that will pray for you, that will have your back if something horrible goes wrong, um, that can speak truth into your life, that um, you know, can watch your kids. That kind of community um, that helps you understand who God is more. Uh, maybe you have close community of coworkers or family members who either don't know Jesus or maybe it's a, a community of Christians who really aren't actively seeking God. You need people who are actively seeking God, who are going to be in that battle and that fight 
with you. Or maybe you've been hurt by a believer or a community of believers in the past and you've decided, you know what, I tried that and it hurt a lot and so I'm just going to not go there again. Um, But I think what Jesus is showing us by his own example is that you need community. The Son of God craved and needed community in a time of deep, deep distress. And the second thing, do you have two to three close friends who are continually helping you become more like Jesus, stepping on your toes, um, poking you a little bit, making you feel uncomfortable. And it's not a big group. You can't have a big group. I remember reading a, a, a book one time on community, how we can handle larger community um, like this. It's just kind of acquaintances. I don't remember the exact words they used. Um, and then you can only, there's a, that smaller community of believers that we talked about can be a smaller group that you get closer with, but still really they don't know you 100%. But to have somebody who really like understands you, knows your struggles, knows your temptations, all of those things, really knows you the best, you can't have more than two or three or four people like that. It's just, it's time-wise and there's things, it's almost impossible. So are you um, experiencing those two things? The next three ingredients um, come in the last couple verses. That was just those first uh, couple verses. But we notice in um, verse uh, 38, he says, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch with me. Um, I think another thing that's essential in, in coming to a point of surrender is active waiting. What he's, Jesus is calling them to watch. He's not just telling them to sit on a rock and be a lookout for somebody that might be coming. Um, these are his, his closest followers, um, probably very close friends. He's asking them to join with him in the sorrow and the anguish and the, the pain that he's experiencing. Um, and that also in our own life requires us to be actively waiting, actively watching for God. And the disciples don't give us a very good example in these verses, right? They fall asleep. Um, they don't really help much. Um, but I, I can't criticize them very much because I know I would probably be in the same boat. This is late at night. I mean, they've just had the meal in the upper room. Um, this is kind of beginning, like I said, Jesus' uh, journey to the cross. I, and Paul even asked me last night if I stayed up late studying for tonight. And I said, pretty much past 10 o'clock, even in, when I was in college. If I really had to do something, maybe I could make it till midnight. But after that, I might as well go to bed and get up at 5 o'clock because I can't even think past that time. So I would have been right there probably in the same boat with the disciples. But what God is wanting us to do is to be involved in kind of an active waiting on him. Um, And in that book that I read from earlier, it said, uh, waiting in prayer is an intensely active time. It's not just you waiting for God to act upon you, but actively searching for him, delighting yourself in him, surrendering every part of your heart, confessing every sin, seeking to bring him the greatest glory and counting every cost of the path ahead. Um, Watching for God and for the temptations that might trip us up um, is an active waiting. And it's what Jesus was calling his disciples to do and what they struggled to do for him. 
Um, so active waiting is an important um, ingredient in living a life of surrender. And then I think one of the most important ones is this one, is being honest with ourself and with God. And as we were kind of recapping our, our series that we've been talking about in our ABF class, um, a lot of it came down to this. And we've been um, studying a series called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Um, and um, it's really on, it's, it's about being honest with yourself and with God. And we noticed that Jesus... I mean, this is the Son of God, but when he comes to his Father, he says, my soul is exceedingly sorrow. And, and in Mark, he even asks God to, if there's another way, and, and we kind of see that in the language here. If it's possible, if there's another way where I don't have to die on the cross, like, can we do that? That's where Jesus is at, okay? And you might think, well, that's a horrible place to be at, like, He's supposed to be the son of God. He's the one that died on the cross for our sins. Like, but that's, that's where he's at. That's his feelings and where his emotions are at. And he's not afraid to bring those before God. Um, and God's not afraid of your pain or your emotions. Um, he was in deep distress and anguish. It says in Luke, he even describes it, the doctor, that Jesus was sweating like drops of blood. And I don't know exactly what that means, but I know that that's a pretty hard place to be. Um, the words that Jesus uses to describe where he's at um, are, he's honest with himself, he's honest with God on where he's at, and God wants us to be honest with him, with where we're at. Um, live in reality, don't run away from the things that God is putting before you. Um, this, I had to throw this in, just, we watched this video this morning from our ABF class, um, and I didn't. I'm not going to get all the details right, but it was of a long time ago when a, a queen, I think it was, had planned like this really long journey through her kingdom to see what her kingdom was like. Um, and like a thousand mile journey back, you know, a couple hundred years ago would have taken several months. Um, but a general in her army knew that the place, some of the places she would be going were not good places. Like they were poor places. There were hard places. They didn't look good. Um, and so he didn't want her to see that. And so <laughs> the story is told that he actually went ahead of her knowing where her journey was going to be. And he set up fake villages in towns and basically paid people to look happy. Um, and then at night when she was resting, he'd take those people and take them over to the next fake village so that when she passed by, things looked good. Um, and the reality is, sometimes that's the way we're at. That's the way I'm at. I, I put on, I want, I think, wow, God wants me to look good or whatever. I'm not honest with the struggles, the temptations, the pain, the hurt um, that's going on with God, the creator of the universe, who already knows anything, everything anyways. He knows what you're going through, and he's asking you to be honest with him. And in all reality, I think that's a result of humility. I mean, look back at the verses. He says, um, you know, I'm exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Um, uh, if possible, God, let this cup of wrath, what's an image for God's wrath, pass from me. Um, the second time he goes, he says, if, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. Um, he's honest with God and where he's at. It doesn't mean he's going to give in to those emotions or feelings uh, of what he, what he desires, 
um, but he's not afraid to bring those to his heavenly Father. And God's not afraid of whatever you may be experiencing. Um, and just kind of as a quick side note, as I thought of what Jesus must be experiencing and the whole phrase he uses to, um, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Um, if you have ever contemplated taking your own life or have tried, or maybe you know somebody who does, like, Jesus understands that kind of depth of pain. I'm not saying Jesus was contemplating suicide, but the pain that he was experiencing at this moment in his life was great. Um, and he understands exactly where you're at if that's something that you've experienced. Um, but he doesn't give in to that. He takes it to his heavenly father. And the last thing we see um, and I didn't really know how to say this, is persistence in prayer. Um, he, took, he went three times to, to pray before God. And these weren't just like 15 minutes. What does he say in verse 40? He comes back, he finds him asleep. He's like, what, you couldn't even watch for an hour? I'm thinking, like, man, like he was there, at, he describes it as an hour. That's a pretty long time. That's just the first time. The second time, he goes, he does it three times. Who knows how long... This could have been half the night um, that he, he goes to God. He cries out his heart. Um, he comes back to his disciples hoping for some support. It, he doesn't really get it. He goes back to God again, and God is, is he's willing to surrender that to him. And when we do that, I was even as I was preparing for this message, I was trying to uh, get my heart and my mind clear um, to to arrange my thoughts and as I go to him like all of a sudden maybe you've had the same experience everything that I need to do comes into my head right like I'm thinking of all these things but I'm supposed to be trying to focus on what God wants me to say and so I have to stop my mind my thoughts and I finally started writing them down because then they're gone usually um, and go back and then more stuff comes to my head um, and I have to stop my thoughts and try to refocus on God and what he wants me to do. And it took, you know, 15, 20 minutes. And this is several hours, it looks like, that Jesus was there. He keeps coming back to God. And when we persist, God, this is what I, I, I'm feeling, maybe what I desire, what I want, but it isn't necessarily what God is wanting, um, to get to that point of surrender sometimes, it takes multiple times coming back to God. Um, maybe you haven't forgiven somebody. You're struggling to forgive somebody who's hurt you. All right? It's not going to come once. You, a lot of times it's going to take multiple times persistence in prayer to God, crying out to him, being real with who, uh, how you feel. Um, but that's the example that Jesus gives us. He comes persistently back to God, surrendering his desires, his emotions, his feelings, because he wants God's plan, God's will for his life to happen. So are you actively waiting for God? Um, are you honest with yourself and honest with God? Um, I've, that's one of the biggest things that God is showing me. I've been plenty of times where either I deny my problems, justify my actions, or maybe just ignore them, hoping they'll go away, right? Those are all um, signs that I'm not being honest with myself and with God. Um, 
blaming other people for things that are going on. That's a sign that you're not being honest with yourself um, and with God. And are you willing to persist in prayer? That's probably honestly one of the harder things too for our culture. We want everything right away. Um, We want things quick. We want problems to be solved quick. Maybe that's just me because I'm a guy. Um, Are you willing to persist when it's not there right away? Um, And real quickly, I wanted to highlight um, two hindrances to surrender. Um, And these aren't necessarily in the passage, but um, in my, what God has been teaching me, these are the things that I see. And uh, to live a life of absolute surrender, pride is an incredible hindrance um, to God. And uh, in all reality, I, I would say, probably say, all of us have pride in our life to some extent. Um, it doesn't always come out in that, like, boastful way, um, but pride has many faces. Um, in the quote from D.L. Moody, God sends no one away empty-handed except those who are full of themselves. Um, and then the other one um, is an, a wrong or incomplete view of who God is. Um, God is so good. That's what uh, he, he has been showing me even more. Like, he is such a good, kind, loving God. Yes, there are, are things that we don't understand. There are incredibly hard difficult things in life um, that you cannot deny, Um, but God is good, and I I would challenge you, if you don't believe that, um, find somebody who's well-experienced in life, who's a little bit older, and that you you know their faith is strong, um, and you admire their relationship with God, and you look up to them, find them and ask them how God has been faithful in their life. I guarantee you, they will be able to give you instance after instance where God has been faithful, even in the midst of difficult circumstances, that God's love has continued to sustain them, to give them joy, um, to do all those amazing things for them. Um, So as we kind of end here um, with uh, what does that look like? Absolute surrender. Absolute surrender. There's a Christian uh, folk story from South India that I think describes the way I often try to surrender to God. Um, and it, it's, it's a story of a young boy who loved to play marbles. And I was like, man, these, most of you kids probably don't even understand what marbles are. Um, but they, before all the electronics that entertain us, um, even in Guatemala, there were little boys out there playing with marbles. It's, you would play games with little marbles. Um, and he regularly walked through his neighborhood. He had a pocket full of his best marbles, hoping to find other people that he could play against. And he had, there's always one marble, if you don't, didn't know, um, if you never experienced playing with marbles. Um, he had a special blue marble that had won him many matches. Um, And during one walk, he encountered a young girl who was eating a bag of chocolate candy. And though the boy's first love was marbles, like many of us, he had a weakness for chocolates. And as he stood there interacting with this young girl, his um, mouth starts to water, his stomach starts to rumble, um, and he thought to himself, you know, I've got to get my hands on this chocolate. And so he, he comes up with this plan and he asks the girl, how about I give you all of these marbles that I have in my pocket for those chocolates. She replied, sounds fair to me. 
So he puts his hand in his pocket and he's searching for that distinguishing cracks, the, the feel of that one special blue marble. And once he's identified it with his fingertip, he carefully pushes it to the bottom of his pocket, pulls out all but the one marble and hands it to the girl. And as he handed the marbles to the girl in exchange for the chocolate, he thought his plan was successful and he turns and walks away. But as he begins to eat the candy, he suddenly turns to the girl and asks, hey, did you give me all the chocolates? A lot of times we maybe grab everything and we lay out everything to God except that one thing or that one pain or that one hurt or that one relationship. Um, And that's what we're willing to offer. Um, And then we expect him to give us the best in return. We expect him to give us everything, the blessings of surrender in return. Um, But what God wants is all of it, including the blue uh, marble. Um, And so um, as we close, I just wanted to take a few moments of just some silence and solitude in your own life and for you to come before God the Father and, and just say, you know, to, uh, am I willing to surrender? To think about it, to seek him and see what he speaks to you. Now, are you willing to surrender to God this morning? So I'm just going to give you a couple minutes um, for you to go before God, your heavenly Father, um, and ask him. Um, what do I, is there something I need to surrender? Or show me um, what I need to surrender to you today. So when you come to God in absolute surrender, <clears throat> willing to let him take everything. Um, I used this illustration with the teenagers um, the last time we had sold out. And it came from this book. Um, it's almost like he gives you... Um, a blank sheet of paper in return saying, here's my plan, here's my contract, here's what I'm going to do. But it's, I mean, you don't, what is, what is that, God? And he's asking you to be willing to sign your name on the bottom saying, okay, God, I'll do whatever you choose to fill out this sheet of paper with. Um, but the reality of it, as I was thinking today, I didn't say this to the teens, is he's already signed it too because he will be faithful to his promises, um, even when we are not. Um, But he has great, amazing, wonderful things in store that he can do, but a lot of times it's hindered because we're not willing to surrender to him. Um, And that can be extremely disappointing or discouraging when you realize, I don't know if I have that. I don't know if I'm willing to do that. I've been there. There's one more slide up there, if you could throw that back up. And I came across this quote that I wanted to end with um, that is encouraging to me that it's not just up to me. It says, God comes and offers to work this absolute surrender in you. All these searchings and hungerings and longings that are in your heart, I tell you, they are the drawings of the divine magnet, Christ Jesus. He lived a life of absolute surrender. We see that. He has possession of you. He is living in your heart by his Holy Spirit. You... Me, I have hindered and hindered him terribly, but he desires to help you, to help me get a hold of him entirely. And he comes and he draws you now by his message and his words. 
Will you not come and trust God to work in you that absolute surrender to himself? Yes, blessed be God. He can do it, and he will do it. Um, when you bring what you have to him, it's not probably not going to be complete um, because we're sinful, falling human beings. But thanks be to God that he takes that and he uses it, and then he shows you more um, that you need to, to give up. Um, and then he takes what you've given him, and he continues to use it. So my, um, and that's why I think Jesus said in these verses, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And we are imperfect fallen people, but when God, when we come in absolute surrender to him, um, the things that we saw in that song at the beginning, they, they start to happen. Um, and that's what my prayer is for me, and that's what my prayer is for this church. So let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, reveal yourself to us so that we can see and understand who you are. And that I pray that that knowledge of who you are um, would bring us to the point of absolute surrender. And that you would continually work through your Holy Spirit um, to teach us and to convict us um, and to make us more like Jesus. Um, And teach us, God, what it means to surrender. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week and happy 4th of July. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.